And good morning, everybody. Man, I see a lot of new faces out here, people that I don't recognize, and it's not because I'm forgetful. It's because I've never seen you before. Those that I've forgotten who you are, that's a different thing. Um, but I want to welcome everybody to Morning Hour Chapel this morning. Uh, we are really happy to be here. Um, how many of you celebrated Valentine's Day um, on Wednesday? Oh, like two people. All right. We actually didn't. We celebrated yesterday. We went out to dinner and went to the Hershey Symphony, and that was fun. So, um, But on Valentine's Day, we, we kind of had a, a, a dual thing going on uh, because it was Valentine's Day uh, through much of the world, but also through much of the world. Many Christians began to commemorate the season known as Lent. Um, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with Lent, Lent is a 40-day season of prayer, fasting, and what they call almsgiving, or giving to the poor. Um, and that begins on um, Ash Wednesday, which was this past Wednesday. Um, and Ash Wednesday itself is a holy day of prayer and fasting, and it's said to come from uh, the, the ancient Jewish tradition that we read about in the Old Testament, where people would sit in sackcloth and ashes, and they would fast and they would pray to God when, uh, they, when, when their nation was in trouble, when their families were in trouble, uh, when they were mourning, uh, they would just sit in sackcloth and ashes. And in some Christian denominations, uh, folks who go to their churches, they will uh, have their priest or their pastor will dip their thumb in ash and then kind of draw a cross uh, on the person's forehead. Uh, but throughout Lent, there's a lot of traditions, a lot of practices. Um, I learned that uh, this past Friday was National Tartar Sauce Day uh, because uh, on uh, Fridays during Lent, you're supposed to only eat fish uh, and not meat. So it was, uh, got to capitalize on that, right? Make some money for the tartar sauce people. Um, but, um, but yeah, so we do a lot of different things um, during this Lenten season, and it's supposed to help us to uh, pray, help us to focus our attention on uh, the upcoming season that, that starts right after Lent ends. Lent ends on uh, what they call Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday, which is the, the night that, that we commemorate Jesus having the Last Supper with his disciples. And from there we go to Good Friday where Jesus was crucified. And then Saturday where Jesus was in the tomb. And then on Sunday when he was resurrected. And we celebrate that as either Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, some people have come to call it. And the Brethren in Christ, we recognize the Lenten season as one of prayerful reflection, uh, study about the ultimate sacrifice Jesus made by dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead to uh, defeat death and to promise us eternal life. But because... We are, believe that we are called to pray and fast and give to the poor 365 days a year, or 366 this year. Um, Lent is, is more just a continuation of those things that we are supposed to be doing every single day. Now, for those of you who are new to Morning Hour Chapel, you've started attending uh, since last Lenten season. Uh, there are a couple of things that, uh, that we do, a couple of traditions that we hold. And the first one is our communion and foot washing service. And that does happen on the last day of Lent, uh, on Maundy Thursday. Um, and uh, we usually hold a Good Friday service. This year, instead of the Good Friday service, 
we're taking a trip to Sight and Sound Theater to see the uh, production of Daniel down there, and we're going to be having a meal together and uh, seeing that production, those of you who have signed up uh, for that. And then on Resurrection Sunday, on March 31st, we're going to hold two services. One's going to be uh, an outdoor service, and I know March 31st sounds a little cold uh, for outdoor services, but we're going to ask a couple of people to let us borrow their propane heaters so that we can have some, some warm areas. Um, but that'll start sometime between 6 and 6.15-ish on, uh, on that morning. Sunrise is at 6.37. Uh, so we'll watch, we'll actually watch uh, the sunrise from over here. It's beautiful, um, and I've loved that service every year that I've been here. And then we will also have our Easter Sunday service, which will start earlier. It will start at 9 instead of 10. And between the two services, uh, Chapel Lights will be serving breakfast. Uh, so really hope that you can put those things on your calendar and uh, come and enjoy them with us. But this morning, we're continuing a sermon series that we've called God on Trial. And we're exploring the ways that God and God's children have been kind of indicted or accused throughout history of the things uh, that they have done. Uh, God has been accused even of not existing. Um, and as we live in our society, uh, we notice more and more that we are being kind of indicted for things. We are being kind of accused of not being the people that we say that we are. And as we walk through this series, uh, we're looking for ways, as uh, Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, to honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And we're supposed to do that with gentleness and respect. And if we combine those two things, gentleness and respect, we come to something that, that characterized who Jesus was, and that's compassion. And those are the things that we're looking at. We want to be able to defend our faith. We want to be able to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, to tell people why we have the hope that we have, but we want to do it with compassion. We want to do it with gentleness. We want to do it with respect because people deserve gentleness and respect because they are created in the image of God. And as we continue into this season of preparation and, and reflection on Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, we're going to be looking at some ways that Jesus himself was indicted or accused because of the things that he did, or because of the things that he said. And we're going to look at some of the ways that we also kind of get indicted for those things in our modern world. Now from time to time, um, after Jesus entered his public ministry, he was accused of wrongdoing by the scribes, the Pharisees, all of the religious leaders. They wanted to they wanted to shut him up. They wanted to stop him from saying things like, I am the Son of God. But even before he entered the public ministry, Jesus was indicted by Satan himself. And we remember a few weeks ago, if you were here, we talked about Job and how Satan indicted God and indicted Job about certain things. And the same kind of thing going on here. Satan stands as the accuser or the prosecuting attorney. And he is bringing an indictment 
before Jesus. And the indictment looks a little bit something like this. It starts out, if you are the Son of God. And Satan wants Jesus to provide evidence that he truly is who he says he is, the Son of God, God's only begotten. And we often face this today, right? Not that people want us to prove that we're sons or daughters of God. Uh, they don't usually get that far. But they want evidence, right? They want to say, prove to us that God exists. Show me evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And nowadays, even show me evidence that Jesus was a real person. People are making the accusation that Jesus didn't even live, let alone die and rise again. With no evidence, mind you, but they're making that accusation. Or they'll say, prove to me that the Bible is the word of God and not just some words that were written down by sheep farmers back in you know, 3000 BC. And they come at us with those things. And we need to be ready to provide a defense for our hope in Jesus Christ. But Jesus himself helps us with that. And he, he uh, actually gets baptized, and then he goes into the wilderness. And we read in uh, Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 1 and 2, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, from the river being baptized. And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. So this is, this is kind of the setup. Jesus is actually led by the Holy Spirit into this supernatural courtroom. And Satan is there, and he is acting as the accuser, and he is trying to get Jesus to prove to Satan that he is not who he says he is. He's trying to get him to do things that would be against the will of the Father. And he does this for 40 days. And I think sometimes we forget that it was 40 days that he was tempted constantly. And it was probably 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus probably wasn't getting much sleep. He certainly wasn't eating. But he was being tempted for that whole time. And what we read next is only the end. So think about being bombarded by your enemy for 40 days and 40 nights, and you're not eating. Just think of what that feels like. But Jesus was supposed to be there. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. It wasn't like Jesus just decided he was going to take a stroll. The Holy Spirit said, this is where you have to go. It is your time to be tempted by Satan. And we read in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, kind of talks about what happened in the wilderness during those 40 days. And it says, since, uh, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So this passage is talking about Jesus Christ. And it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, all alone, nobody around, being tempted by Satan in every way that we are. He was tempted to lie. He was tempted to cheat. He was tempted to steal. He was tempted to think impure thoughts. He was tempted to do everything that we are tempted to do. And he did those things without sin. And the reason he was able to do those things isn't because, oh, well, he was God and he wouldn't act that way. No, Jesus, we read all throughout the Gospels, was obedient to God the Father. He was subservient to God the Father. And he says over and over again, I can do nothing except what the Father wants me to do. Because if I did anything that the Father didn't want me to do, I would not be worthy to be your sacrifice. I would not be worthy to die on the cross and rise again so that you might know eternal life. So here's Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. And of course, we read that he was hungry, right? Can you imagine the exhaustion that you would feel after that 40 days? I mean, I mean I'm exhausted not eating for like five hours, right? How many of you get hangry? Any hangry people? Yeah, yeah, you can raise your hand. It's okay. We know you are, whether you admit that you are or not. We've seen you when you haven't eaten. But Jesus, it says that he was hungry and he was tired and he was exhausted. And I don't know about you, but for me, I find that I am most susceptible to temptation when I am tired, when I am exhausted, and sometimes when I'm hungry. But I am most susceptible when I'm tired, when I'm exhausted. I get cranky, I get angry, I don't think straight. You ever been that exhausted? You're, just not, you're not even thinking straight. And this has to be the, the state that Jesus finds himself in. And after 40 days, it says that Jesus was hungry. Sorry, I got the slide swapped around a little bit. Why would Luke focus on Jesus' hunger? I would focus on his exhaustion. If I were writing about this, I would talk about how tired he was. Not Luke. Luke is Captain Obvious. He didn't eat for 40 days. He was hungry, folks. He just wants to let you know in case you didn't think that he might be hungry after 40 days. But he didn't write it just to be obvious. He wrote it because of what happened next. And what happened next is this, the devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, here comes the accusation. If you are the son of God, if you can do, if you can do what I'm telling you to do, I'll believe you're the son of God. If you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Apparently there was a stone there. Satan gave it to Jesus and said, turn this into bread and I'll believe you're the son of God. Sounds like that's what Satan is saying here, right? Just here, eat. Turn the, do a miracle. Turn this stone into bread. That's what it sounds like Satan is, is asking Jesus to do, but it's not. Satan is indicting Jesus, but he's looking at a false, what we call a false equivalency, or a false accusation. 
He's not just asking Jesus to perform a miracle. He is asking Jesus to prove that he's not the Son of God by acting in a way that would be opposite of what God wants him to do. Satan is saying, look, Jesus, you're hungry. I know it. You know it. Nobody around, nobody to see you. You can go ahead and do this. You can do it for yourself. You're starving. Eat something. It's okay. It's okay to be selfish when you're hungry or when you're tired. How many of you have ever believed that before? That it's okay for us to be selfish when we're hungry or when we're tired? Wouldn't God want you to eat? Wouldn't He want you to get your strength back up? Satan wants Jesus to look after his own self-interests and turn his eyes away from God and His provision. And we hear this all the time. you got to take care of number one. Right? You ever heard that one before? Take care of it. You got to go get yours no matter what it takes. Be successful. Get your money. Get your stuff. Whatever you got to get. Get those things. Because you deserve it. Because that's the way the world is. Right? And I know it's against your religion or whatever, but you know, nobody really is going to know about it if you do this little thing over here that's going to help you and, and advance you a little bit. Nobody's going to know. Doesn't God want you to be happy? That's my favorite. God wants me to be happy. Maybe. I'm not so sure that God is concerned with our temporary emotional state. And happiness is a temporary emotional state. It comes and goes like that. Ask any teenager that has a boyfriend or a girlfriend. My boys have, have, have started dating and broken up with several girls, right? And first they're happy and it's all, yeah, oh, oh I'm going to go do this and we're going to go out. And then, oh, I can't stand her. I want to break up with her, but I've put in so much time and so much money. I don't think God is, is as concerned with our happiness as He is with our joy. Because happiness is an emotion. Joy is a state of being. And if we're honest with ourselves, God is the only person that can truly give us joy. Now, He might give us joy through our husbands or our wives or our girlfriends or our boyfriends. And we can be happy about that. But guess what? When I'm not happy about it, when I'm not happy with my spouse, I'm still joyful that God gave her to me. Because I know whatever temporary thing is going on, we can handle it. Because God gave us to each other. But when we decide to take God out of the equation when it comes to providing for us, even providing boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives. What we're doing is we're saying no to God. It's as simple as that. When we decide to take care of number one, 
when we decide to take care of things ourselves, as Christians, we're saying God can't handle it. Or God's too busy. He doesn't really care about this thing. I'll do it myself. Do not believe that lie because it is a lie. God will take care of everything in your life. And Jesus knew this. And in verse 4 of chapter 4, Jesus answered Satan and he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now Luke stops here. Matthew actually uses the whole scripture verse that that Jesus is quoting here. And uh, Matthew says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is almost a direct quote. Jesus is quoting scripture to Satan. And Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we read all about Israel and how they wandered through the desert for 40 years after their disobedience to God and how God provided for them every single day. He provided bread from heaven in the wilderness for them every single day. And in Deuteronomy 8.3, we read, He humbled you and let you hunger. Same thing's happening to Jesus here. God is letting him hunger. He let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. You've never seen manna before in your life. Your fathers have never seen manna before in their lives. But he did it that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We do not provide for ourselves, folks. No matter how much we want to say it, I work hard for my money. God gave you that job. God gave you that ability to work hard. God gave you that ability to get that money. And God wants you to trust Him with that money. Not to just go off and do whatever it is that you want to do all on your own. Sometimes God wants you to take a vacation. And if we're obedient, He's going to tell us, hey, you know what, you need a break. You need to recharge your batteries. Just like Kathy said this morning. Wendy and I have discovered that in our calendar, we have uh, June 8th is the first time we'll be able to recharge our batteries. Uh, between now and then. But God will want you to do those things, and He will provide the way for you to do them. But man does not live by bread alone. Man lives because of, and we read that verse as, as by the Word of God. It's because of God's Word that we live. And when we say God's Word, we're not just talking about the Bible. We're talking about the words that God spoke to make us live. God created human beings, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We breathe because God wants us to be breathing. That is the truth. If God didn't want us alive, 
we wouldn't be alive. We live because God wants us to live. We live physically. He provides for our needs physically. And He provides for our needs spiritually. He wants us to live with Him forever. And part of living with Him forever is obeying His commandments. Doing the things that He tells us that we should be doing. Not because He's a dictator who wants to just tell us what to do. Because He knows who we are. He knows us when He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knew us before we were even thought of. He knew us. Parents, how often do you know exactly what your child needs, even if they don't think they need it? Sometimes that's going to bed early. Sometimes that's being grounded so you can focus on homework. Sometimes it's whatever. But most of the time, parents and teenagers, I'm really sorry to have to tell you this, but many, 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 many times your parents actually do know what is best for you. Shake your head all you want, Emma. <laughs> oh, you didn't think I was going to call you out, did you? Shake your head no all you want. Your parents... I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not saying every single time. But what I am saying is that largely, your parents know you better than you know yourself. Your parents know what you need. Your parents know what you want. Your parents know what you like, whether or not you think they know it or not. And God knows us. He knows us more intimately than anybody knows anybody. He wants us to obey Him because He knows that if we do, we are going to have our best life here on earth and we're going to have eternal life in heaven with Him. That's why man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that's what Jesus told Satan here. And when we're tempted to worry, when we're tempted to try to take care of things ourselves because God's too busy, we need to stop doing that. We need to turn to God. We need to pray. We need to study our Bibles. We need to trust that God will take care of what we need. Friday night, this just happened Friday night, I was looking at our finances. Wendy will tell you because we had H.B. Uh, McClure come over and look at our HVAC system because it was blowing cold air and it was 20 degrees. And they came out and they told us what was happening and they told us that they could fix it. And guess how much they told us they could fix it for? A lot of money. A lot of money, right? Vacation amount of money. They're telling us that, we're, and, and I'm looking at our finances and I'm just like, I'm scratching my head and I'm looking, and we use Quicken, so I'm looking at Quicken. I'm like, okay, where, where can we get the money? Where, 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 we might have to take it out of the emergency room. We might have to do this. We might have to do that. And I'm just where I'm sit, sitting there and I'm staring at the screen and all of a sudden, I, I literally just clear as day, I heard God's voice say, trust me. And I'm looking at the screen. 
And I hear God's voice say, trust me. So I got up from the computer. Wendy and I went and ran a couple of errands. And as we're driving along, we're talking about how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And God brought something to my mind that I had forgotten about. We're getting a tax refund this year. And it's almost the same exact amount that they quoted us for the air conditioning and heating unit. I forgot all about it when I was looking at the screen. I'm like, I have no idea what we're going to do. What we're going to do. I don't know. We can't send our kids to college and we're going to do this. Trust me. And when I trusted him, he cleared my mind. He brought to remembrance something that I had forgotten that he probably put into place 50 years ago when I was born. On this day, Joe's going to need this much money to fix his HVAC system. I'm going to make sure he has it, if he trusts me. This is what God calls us to do. When we trust God, Christians, we ought to know that God orchestrates everything. That God takes care of everything. And yeah, you know what? Some of those things are not good. Sometimes we get sick. Sometimes we get injured. But even in our sickness, even in our injury, God is there. God knows what He's doing. God wants to know, are you going to trust Him? God wants to know when you get sick, are you going to worry about it or are you going to pray about it? Because i got news for you. Praying is a lot better than worrying. Praying is so much better than worrying. Trusting God is so much better than anxiety. This is what Jesus told Satan. Satan said, why don't you eat something? You're hungry. And Jesus said, yeah, I know I'm hungry. And so does my father. When he wants me to eat, you won't be able to stop me from eating. And at the end of that passage, at the end of this whole thing in the wilderness, we read, Satan took off and the angels came and ministered to Jesus and they gave him food and they gave him rest and they gave him strength because he refused to listen to Satan trying to get him to do something that he knew his father didn't want him to do that's what temptation is temptation is nothing more than Satan trying to get us to do something that he knows our father in heaven doesn't want us to do And Jesus trusted the Father. God takes care of us. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. I remember when my mom died. Wendy was there. She'll, she, can, she can tell you. Standing in 
the funeral home on the day of the funeral. And I just broke down crying. Just suddenly. And Wendy asked me what was wrong, and I said, I can't remember what my mother's voice sounds like. She'd been in the hospital for four months. She had tube down her throat for four months. She was never able to get the tube out of her throat after this surgery that she had. I forgot what her voice sounded like. And God reminded me what her voice sounded like. And I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever felt a relief before. I had never felt such a peace, such a relief. And I wasn't even close to God at that point. I hated God for taking my mother from me because she was young. But even then, God knew what I needed and he gave it to me. And when I look back on that, I know that it was God doing it. It wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't my own brain. God put that memory back. The end of that Deuteronomy passage, we read that Deuteronomy passage about Israel, about the manna, about man living by bread alone. Jesus used those words on Satan. And I'll tell you, I I believe that Jesus had the whole of Scripture in mind and he certainly had the end of that Deuteronomy passage in mind when he said no to Satan about turning that stone into bread. He said, this uh, Deuteronomy 8.10 says, and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. He was talking to the people of Israel, but he was also talking to his son Jesus Christ on that night in the desert, in the wilderness, when Satan said, feed yourself. No, God will feed me and I will be full. I don't need your tricks, Satan. I don't need you to tell me that I should eat. God will tell me when I should eat. And I will be full and I will bless God for all the good that he has given me. Will you trust God enough to believe that when we are supposed to have something, that he will make sure that we have it? That we don't have to go out seeking for it on our own. God will tell us how to get it. He told Israel how to get manna. He said, go out in the morning, it'll be there for you. Collect it up, but don't collect too much. You collect too much, it's going to turn, it's going to have worms in it. Don't expect it on the Sabbath because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. I'm going to give you twice as much on the Sabbath or the day before the Sabbath so you have enough to eat for two days. Will you trust God enough that you will listen for his voice so that he can tell you how 
He is going to provide for you. He will tell you the work that you should be doing. He, should, he will tell you where that provision is so that you can go and get it. Will you trust Him enough? Jesus used God's Word, the Bible, the Old Testament, His Scripture, when He was talking to Satan. Will you know God's Word enough so that when the world comes at you and says, you know what, I think you just don't believe the wrong things, that you will know what you believe because you know God's Word. Will you do that? Will I do that? The world does not want you to trust God. The world does not want you to believe that God even exists, let alone that He cares. What will be your testimony? What will be your witness for Jesus Christ when the world comes and says, do it yourself? Will you show them how you have trusted God? Will you show them how God has provided for you in ways that you never imagined? Because He does. And if we open our eyes and our minds and our hearts, then we can come to recognize that it is God who is doing all of these things. Now, Satan didn't stop with this one indictment. Jesus spent 40 days. Satan tried to get him to feed himself, but he didn't stop there. He went further, and he went further. And next week, we're going to look at this second time that Satan tempted Jesus to do something for himself. And he told Jesus what the price would be. And we're going to take a look and see what that price is. And we're going to come to realize, I hope, that that price is way too high. So I hope that you can join us next week. But for now, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for just bringing us here. We thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to, to live among us, to die for us, to rise again for us. As we enter this season of remembrance, this season we call Lent, bring to our remembrance who Jesus is. Bring to our remembrance that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. Not to prove himself better, but so that he could sit at your right hand and tell you what we're experiencing when we are tempted in the same exact way so that He can intercede for us, so that He can pray to you for us when we are tempted. And Father, we thank You 
We thank you for his sacrifice and we thank you that he is sitting at your right hand. Father, help us to trust you. Not just with spiritual things, but with physical things. Take our anxiety and our worry away when we look at things that seem impossible. And help us to trust you and help us to listen for your voice so that we can hear you say, with you it's impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. We know that you will give us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. Father, we just thank you for all of these things. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. There's a line in that song that says, We lift up our hands for the joy of the Lord is our strength. It is not bread. It is not happiness. It is not anything except the joy of the Lord that gives us strength. Are you willing to raise your hands and say the, the joy of the Lord is our strength? Would you do that this morning? Raise your hands. The joy of the Lord is our strength. One more time. The joy of the Lord, Lord is, is our, our strength. strength. Be strong in the Lord. Let him strengthen you. Do not look for strength from the things of the world because they are nothing but weakness. God bless you this week.